Hey everyone, this is Van Cochran. The message today is taken from Romans 13, 1 through 5, where the Apostle Paul talks about our relation to government. And the basic thought that I, that I want to come across is this, that in a fallen world, God decided that the best way for humans to govern themselves was through a multitude of nations and each nation having a government. And the second part of it is this, that the citizens of that nation are to honor those who are in leadership, not because they're perfect, but because of the position they hold. Hope you enjoy the message. Have a good day. I love that little video. It looks like freedom to me, and I think that's what we're all seeking. That's what Jesus provides for us. All right, so before we get started, there was a guy who walked into a library, and he walked up to the desk, and he said to the librarian, I'm looking for books on paranoia. And he's a little bit embarrassed, but he says, I've got to, I've got to find out where are the books so I can be free of being paranoid. And the librarian leaned over the desk and whispered to him, they're right behind you. <laughs> All right, same guy, I think. I don't know if it was the same guy. It might have been the same librarian. Guy walks in, he says, um, uh, how can I help you? And she says, and he says, well, I'd like a hamburger and fries. And the lady says, sir, this is a library. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. And he whispered, I'd like a hamburger and fries. <laughs> Well, I hope you've been enjoying this Romans series that we've been in. Uh, we as a staff and as a preaching team really enjoy doing, doing books or passages like this where we're just going from one passage to the next one and, and really digging out what God has for us there. But these two chapters really are focused on a kingdom of God lifestyle. And we titled the whole series, The Holy Spirit and the New Nature, because when a person receives Jesus, they become new. And when you become new and you have a new heart, then the Holy Spirit can work in you, in that new heart, that new nature, to produce a Jesus type of life. And so these chapters have been about how to live a Jesus type of lifestyle. And today we're going to talk specifically about uh, how, to, as, a, as a kingdom of God person, how do I relate to government and in past weeks, we've seen uh, messages about relating to each other in the church. You know, several, couple messages on godly character. What type of character does a person have that is walking in, in the kingdom? And how, how to live at peace with others. In that passage, I think Wilson gave this message, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. And then last week, a message on how to actually relate to enemies. And when he was talking about enemies in that context, he was talking about people that have some sense of hostility towards you. And, and how do you relate to someone who has hostility towards you? The, the last verse in that, um, in that message, in the last verse in chapter 12 said this, or kind of summarized it. It said, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, this is Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, he's, he's describing here at a heart level how you are to respond to someone who is engaging with you with a heart of hostility. That your heart is not going to respond to them with hostility. 
You're not going to have the attitude that says, you pushed me. Well, I'm going to push you back two times harder. And that's just kind of what is in your heart. What's in the nature of a believer, a person who has received Christ, who's living in light of the kingdom and the Holy Spirit's working in their heart, what is in them is to forgive that person and bless them. You push me, I bless you. Jesus said, bless those who curse you. He said, when, when people persecute you, pray for them. You know, and not like a haughty, well, I'll pray for you, you lousy sinner, you need it. But which is a genuine, a genuine heart of concern for that other person. Now, he's not saying here that, um, that you should be kind of like disengaged from life. He's not saying that you should, uh, you should ignore evil. Um, well, Philippians 3.20 states it this way. It says in Philippians 3.20, Our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said that we're to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, my citizenship is in heaven. And so that's where my heart rests, but I am planted here on this earth. And Jesus at one point prayed, he said, Father, don't take them out of the world, but protect them from the world. And he said, we're going to be in a broken, fallen world. That's where we're going to live, but we're not supposed to live like a broken, fallen world. We're not supposed to live like those who have no hope other than what they find in this broken, fallen world. And so we, we, um, we come to this and we realize that so much of this is just heart issues. And it's the Holy Spirit working in this regenerated, renewed heart. And, and again, this is not saying that we're passive or that we're uninvolved or that we don't care or that we retreat from culture and retreat from society. No, Jesus prayed that Father would not take us out of the world. He wants us here but that we're going to respond differently in the relationships that we have than what you see anywhere else. And again, this doesn't mean that, um, well, for instance, having a concealed carry license is wrong, all right? It doesn't mean that, that it's wrong to defend yourself against violence or random violence or, or if you're in a situation uh, where you defend other people uh, against evil violence. He's not saying that. There's, there's clarity in the Bible that allows for that. But what he is saying is that at a heart level, there's not this viciousness in our hearts that responds in kind. We don't respond tit for tat. We, we don't respond out of a heart of anger and angst because we have new hearts. And we have the Holy Spirit in us, and He produces heaven's values within us. Well, as we look at the passage today, we're, we're going to uh, study, look, look at Romans. But before we get to Romans, I wanted to actually read a passage from 1 Peter, because Peter says some very similar things to what Paul says in Romans. And, I, and one thing in particular that he says more clearly than Paul, I want us to see. But before we get to that, I want to say this. Um, th this whole thing in relating to government could become very political easily. And, and we, have, uh, we have always held the value that we are not a politically driven church. We're not going to align with one party against another. Uh, we will speak to biblical issues, and, and, and we'll just speak to issues that are biblical. And if, if that overlaps into politics, you know, we don't intend that, but, but we've tried to uh, be careful not to do that. In fact, uh, oh, probably it was 10 years ago now, 
we had a guest speaker in during one major presidential election, and this guest speaker kind of let slip out at one point that he thought everybody ought to vote for one candidate instead of the other. Anybody here then? You, some, some of you are here then. I was at a meeting back in my office, and Tyler came back and knocked on the door and said, hey, he said, I want you to know, and he named the speaker, he said, he just said that we're supposed to vote for this candidate, not that one. So I said, okay. So at the end of the service, I came up, I put my arm around his shoulder, and he was a worship leader, he had just concluded worship, and I said his name, and I said, you know, we're, we're starting to love you around here, but I got to tell you, we don't do politics here. And so then I stepped away from him and I said to the church, I said, I promise you this, I will never tell you who to vote for until Jesus runs for president. <laughs> and if Jesus runs for president, I will stand up here and say vote for Jesus. Short of that, we're, we're going we're to do our very best to stay away from uh, political arguments. And the biggest part of that is that people all across the spectrum need Jesus. They need Jesus. And that, that's, that's what we want to be known for, is the life-giving message that Jesus brings. And so that, that's, so if anything I say here, if I, I'm going to do my best not to let any of my political thinking come into this, all right? If, if you think it does, then come and talk to me about it later. Please don't write me any anonymous emails, okay? <laughs> but I'm going to do my best that it doesn't doesn't come in because uh, that, that's not what we're about. It's all about Jesus. So 1 Peter 1, 13 through 17. Here Peter's teaching and, and he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And as we read on, he means government, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. He says this, act as free men, yet do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as servants of God. And here's what he means by this, act as free men, but do it in the right way. And he concludes with this, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So this, I think this message comes down to this, that we need to learn how to trust God so much that we can honor people that we disagree with. We need to, we need to learn how to trust God so much that I can have a conversation with someone who holds an, an opposite viewpoint to what I believe is right and what I believe is holy and righteous and everything, and I'm able to say to them at the end of the conversation, I'm really glad we had this talk. I mean, really, I'm so glad I got to hear how you think and how you arrived at some of the, some of the things you think. You know, honestly, I, you know, I, I disagree with just about everything you said, but I really appreciate getting to know you better and hearing your heart and being able to, being able to interact like this. We need to get to that point. That's honoring the other person. And if there's any need in our culture today, it, it's honor. I mean, if... Like it's almost like you can't watch the news, you can't read the newspaper because there's such a lack of honor, and and it's all across the board, all the way, all all across the spectrum. But here he says, honor all people, and he says, honor the king, and and so as kingdom of God people, that needs, these are our marching orders. These are how we are, this is how we're engaged with our culture and our society. Now in the English usage, or maybe I should say in the cultural usage, 
of the word honor, we have a tendency to think of it as kind of like heaping praise on someone who has done something really great for a long time. You know, like a longtime friend, 50th, 50th uh, wedding anniversary for a couple that we know, and they've been faithful to each other, and we get together with them, and we honor them, we praise them, and we tell all the great things about them. Or uh, an employee who has served faithfully, or someone who has persevered through something really, really hard, and we all get together, and we, we speak out the good things we see in them, and we honor them in, in that way. And the, the Greek word for honor in the Bible includes that, but it's not limited to that. In, in the New Testament sense, the word honor means to give weight to something, to, to make the decision that you are going to value someone. Honor is a decision that each individual makes that says, I am going to honor you. I might disagree with you totally, but I'm going to honor you because I'm going to listen to you. And, I, and, and, I, and you're worth getting to know. Even if I disagree with you 100% on everything, you're still worth getting to know because you're a human being created in the image of God. And therefore, I'm going to have an open heart to you. I'm going to listen. I'm going to share back my heart with you. And, and, and that's, that's honoring. And, and just uh, uh, kind of like at the basic level, we honor other people because they are created in the image of God. All right? doesn't make a difference who they are or what they've done. We can honor them because they are created in the image of God. A second level of honor is that we honor them because of their position or special relationship. You know, the Bible tells us to honor our parents. It tells us here, honor the king, honor the governor. I, I had a young guy years ago that um, was struggling with his relationship with his dad because he wasn't really sure his dad had that much wisdom. And, um, and rather than trying to argue with him about whether his dad really had wisdom or not, I took him to a verse in the Old Testament, and it said, a wise son honors his father. I said, now notice, it doesn't say that a wise son gets a wise father. I said, it says, a wise son honors his father. Whether you think he's wise or not, honor him. And, and that, that had, years later I found out that it had a huge impact on him and on his relationship with, with his father. But we honor our parents. We, 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 we honor rulers and governors and authorities and kings. And we should honor the police. We should honor teachers, judges, senators, congressmen, presidents, principals of schools. We should hold them in honor because of the position that they have, even if we totally disagree with how they are using that position. And again, we honor them by showing, just simply showing respect for them. And so, um, you know, it's easy to honor someone you agree with. That's easy, isn't it? Everybody does that. Someone you admire or someone who has done some, some, some wonderful things. But as a kingdom person, we're called to honor all. And that's possible because of the Holy Spirit in us. It's possible because the Holy Spirit works in this new nature He's given me. And this new nature actually has an inclination to follow God. And my inclination is not to be, not, not to be cruel to others, not, not to be dishonoring, but to be honoring. That's, and the Holy Spirit just fires that inclination up. He empowers that inclination we have because of our new nature. And if I don't have that inclination, then, then I'm probably believing some wrong things about who God is and about who I am. And I need to get those things straightened up in my thinking. 
But when, when, I, when I have that right, and I realize that, boy, if, if, I, if, I, if I yield to the Holy Spirit in this, and I just start honoring everyone, you know, my life is going to be at peace. I'm going to see so much more peace in my heart and in my life. And when we come to this whole passage in Romans, I want us to have that all as a background, because... Yeah, honoring, as I already shared, shared, honoring, it says I strongly disagree uh, with a free heart, but uh, I'm really glad to get to know you better. I'm really glad to hear your heart and, and to, to know you as a person. Whereas what's happening in our culture today is shaming. And everything is about shame. There can't, there can't be any real legitimate disagreement because it's, well, you think that, you don't deserve to live. I mean, literally, that's what's happening on, on, online, especially, where, where people don't have to actually face each other, but sometimes it's happening face to face. If you think that, you are a horrible person, all of the problems in the world, you're part of them, and you're causing them, and that's shaming people. And, and so, even to the point of like, I hope you die, I hope you break your neck, I hope your house burns down. On and on and on. This is the kind of stuff that's happening today when people disagree. And so, boy, it's going to be easy to stand out in this culture, you know, that when we don't do that. And there's a place in the Bible where it says, just stop complaining and you will shine like stars in the sky at night. And so just stop complaining. If you just stop complaining in life, you're going to stand out. So today, if we start honoring, how much more we're, we're going to shine, and there's going to be a difference, and people are going to see Jesus in us that way. And the truth is, our culture desperately needs us to do that. And so let's read Romans, and, and let's, let's try to work our way through this passage and, and some of the truths that, that uh, we can draw out of this. All right, Romans 13, verses 1 through 5. So he has just said, uh, don't, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Then he says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the institution God established. And those who are in opposition will receive condemnation upon themselves. Because rulers are not a cause of fear for good character, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what's good, and you'll have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it, government, is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. And then he says, therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. So this first verse, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Now, what he means by this is that it's the institution of government that God has established. 
There are times when God sovereignly places people in rulership. Daniel talks about that and other places in the Bible. But, But what he's talking about here is the institution of government, that God has chosen to establish government and authority as a way to rule the world during this whole fallen age of mankind. And without it, there would be chaos. Without some government, without it, there, there would just, uh, the, the base nature of man would ultimately take over, and there, there would be chaos and all sorts of, of other horrible things. But he's saying here that God established government. Now, Acts 17, 26 and 27 explain this a little more clearly. And uh, in this, it's a, a sermon being preached in the book of Acts, Acts 17, 26 and 27. And it says, from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And so it says here that God appointed nations, time in history, the boundaries of the lands, and he had a purpose in doing that. Now, now this is referring back to the Tower of Babel, when in the book of Genesis it talks about the fact that all of the, the people in that whole region gathered, and they were going to try to create a super culture that would answer all of their ills, that would be just all one big government for the whole world, and, and it was represented by this tower that they were building. And God, God broke that tower, and in order to break this whole, this whole new, this whole unity thing up, which was unity in opposition to God, he he confused their languages, and all of a sudden there were whole segments of them that were speaking Italian, and others that were speaking Latin, and others that were speaking Chinese, and and I don't know what all the languages were then, but but out of these thousands of people who had gathered. Suddenly, I can't understand you anymore, but I hear someone over there speaking a language I understand. And so they gathered together in language groups and went out into the world. That was God establishing the nations. And this, this message uh, in Acts says he did that so that they would seek him, so that they might seek him. Because the fact that, that we don't have a one world government, that we have all these different nations out there, they all have different interests, they're located in different parts of the world and they have different needs and they have different strengths and varying value systems and it causes all of this angst and conflict in the world which should say to people, we need help. It should say to people, we can't do this on our own. And lead nations themselves to seek God. That's God's intent for the whole thing. But I think it's very interesting here that he does say that he appoints the boundaries of the nations and he appoints their time periods. So any of us that think that if, if the world lasts another 20,000 years, if, if we think, well, America's going to last 20,000 years then, ha, huh, maybe, but maybe not. I don't know. I mean, we can't, see, that type of thinking roots our hearts here too much. And believe me, I am a patriot and loyal and everything like that. But we can't root our hearts here. 
because he appoints the times of the nations. I mean, I'm thankful that we live in a land where there's freedom, with freedom of speech and all these other freedoms of opportunity. We all should be so incredibly thankful for that and willing to defend it if necessary. But we don't root our hearts here because we're citizens of heaven. And actually being citizens of heaven is going to make us the best possible citizens of whatever government we're under on earth. You see Daniel in the Old Testament, he, he, he was a, a top advisor to the king for three or four different kings, none of them righteous, none of them godly, and yet Daniel was there with this godly influence the whole time, honoring and respecting whatever king happened to be in place. And so when you see this, you, you, you see that... Um, that God's heart is to turn the nations back to Himself. Now verse 2 in Romans it says, Therefore whoever resists authority has opposed the institution God established, and those who are in opposition will receive condemnation upon themselves. So he's talking here about uh, resisting the legitimate governmental authority over you, and, and almost it almost sounds like he's talking about an anarchist. Someone who just wants to overthrow whatever power is in place, they want to overthrow it. And, and there have been anarchists down through history who have caused great pain to the world. But he's, he's saying here that if you just say, well, who are they to boss me around? Who are they to tell me I have to wear a seatbelt? And you remember when you didn't have to wear seatbelts? I, when I was 13 years old, we had a, a, my parents had a little, little girl. She's my little sister, 13 years younger than me. They had like, you know, like one of these seats you go into a restaurant where they hook it on the table and you just put the kids in. And in those cases, they have little straps that you strap them in with. In this case, we had something like that that would just hook over the front seat and just sit her in it, just plop her in. And there were no laws about anything like this. Some people would say, well, the government has no right to tell me that. And, you know, why should I have to obey the law? Why should I have to obey the speed limit or whatever? He's saying when you're doing that, you're really rejecting the system God put in place to keep order in the world. And so that's, that's the thrust of, uh, of, of this verse. But in our culture, we were established by independent people, people that were willing to get on those old boats and travel across the North Atlantic at incredible risk to their lives so they could be free, so they could worship the way they wanted to worship. And, and then th that was the first kind of wave. Some at that point, too, came over for economic reasons. Um, but um, then, then it becomes adventurers, people that just have to go over the next mountain. I, I don't know what's over there, so I, I am compelled to find out what's over there. And so we, you have that as part of our family system as a nation down through the, down through the last couple centuries. And we, so we have a very independent mindset. And, and, but as believers, we need to recognize, okay, that's good. you got to think for yourself. You don't just accept what you're told. You need to think. And, and we're really accountable to God first and foremost in everything. But we also need to recognize that that can lead us to have a wrong heart and a wrong attitude towards the governmental authorities over us. And so, so we are to honor, we are to obey, but is that absolute? Someone might say, are there limits to obeying government? And I would say there are a couple. One, if government forbids us from doing something that God told us to do, then we disobey government. Daniel, in the book of Daniel, his enemies 
went to the king and they said, O king, you're so great, let's make a law that says that no one's allowed to pray to any other god except to you for one month. And they did that because they knew Daniel prayed. And they knew they could, they could trick Daniel this way, they could trap him. And so the king, he's flattered by this, he makes this law, and Daniel goes home, and as was his custom, he knew that he knew this was the law, but he opens up his window, which he always did, and prayed towards Jerusalem, and prayed to the living God, and they, their spies caught him, and Daniel ends up being thrown into the lion's den because of that. Now, that was, some people might say, well, that was civil disobedience. Yeah, I suppose you could say that. But, but he was obeying God and doing what God told him to do rather than doing what the king told him he wasn't allowed to do. And so if the government tells us not to do something that God has clearly and specifically told us to do, then we obey God, don't we? And suffer the consequences. So the other case would be if the government tells us to do something that God explicitly forbids, then in that case we disobey as well. But short of those, there, may, there might be others I haven't thought of, but short of those, we, we obey our government. We pay taxes the way they tell us to, and, and we stay, try to stay within 10 miles of the speed limit so we don't get a ticket, you know, that, that sort of thing. <laughs> but um, Peter at one point, he's preaching, and the leaders, the religious leaders, they grab him and they order him not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. So Peter speaks up, and Peter said, and the other apostles with him, they said, we must obey God rather than men. So yes, there is a time that we obey God and we ignore or we, or, or we, uh, or we uh, disobey the laws of man. But, but I believe it has to be specific. Otherwise, if it's not specific and really clear in Scripture, then you and I are just going to make up our favorite things we want to be able to do. And I disagree with the government on this. I think I ought to be able to drive 90 miles an hour. And so, I'm, so, so you follow what I'm saying. It has to be specific and clear. Now, verse 3 and 4a, he says, Rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what's good, and you have praise from the same. For government is a minister of God to you for good. So God's intent through government is to bring order into the culture for the good of the people there. And that's why um, Paul tells us to pray for all men, he says especially kings and those who are in authority, that you might lead peaceful lives. Because that's God's intent is for kings and rulers and governors and mayors to lead in a way that the people under them can live peaceful and prosperous lives. So that's, what, that's one of the things we're supposed to do for them is to pray for them, that God gives them wisdom and, and, and draws, that, draws them in to a place where they have wisdom to lead in a way that gives us freedom to prosper. Now it might be hard to accept, but in spite of the fact that rulers and authorities don't always do that, and we all know there are rulers and authorities that make bad laws or that, that do things that are counter to the welfare of their people. Nevertheless, we are to honor them. And he says, honor all people. 1 Peter 2, 17 again. Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Now, in fact, when Paul wrote this, when Peter wrote this, 
the king was Nero. Have you ever heard of Nero? You might have heard of an emperor who fiddled while Rome burned. That was Nero. And uh, the city caught on fire. Very likely Nero himself had the fire started because he wanted to buy some land for a new palace and the people that owned that land would not give it to him so he couldn't legally acquire that land. So he just thought, well, I'll just burn all the buildings down on it and then they'll sell it to me and I'll have what I want. And the fire got out of control and I don't know how much of Rome burned, but a significant part of the whole city burned to the ground. And when it came out and people started making accusations against Nero, then he turned the blame towards Christians. And he said the Christians started this fire. And on that basis, he started a vicious persecution against believers where they would skin an animal and take that wet skin with blood all over it and they would wrap it around a Christian and then throw them to wild dogs so that they would be torn apart by the wild dogs. He actually lit up the Appian Way by crucifying Christians and then burning their bodies. And so, so the Appian Way was, was lit with, with Christian bodies in flames going going down alongside the road. That's who, that's who was the emperor when, when Peter said, honor the king. And so it's not a matter of me saying, well, yeah, this king's wicked, or that, that one, yeah, I like this one, so I'm going to honor him. We don't get to choose that. Now, we don't have to approve of what, what they do. We don't have to agree with it, and we live in a free, free society, so we can speak up and we can say, I disagree with that. But when we do that, we've got to do it in an honoring way. And so this whole thing comes down to heart attitude. Do I have something in my heart that makes me lash out at people when they disagree with me or when they uh, somehow offend me or when they hurt me? Is there something in my heart that says, you know, like Lamech in the Old Testament in uh, Genesis, Lamech said, if I've killed a man for wounding me, he says, I've killed men for just pushing me. You push me, I kill you. Th that was revealing the heart attitude. And as believers, it has to come down to what is my heart attitude towards everybody, and especially towards those that are in authority. And so, so we see this honor all people. And even, even when you have a ruler that you might disagree with vehemently, uh, the Apostle Paul at one point was um, being questioned by the high priest, and Paul didn't know this guy was the high priest, and he said something to the man, and uh, something disrespectful, and, the, and someone smacked him. And so then Paul really got disrespectful, and he said this. He said, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? And those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. And so Paul there, he's being, he's being wrongfully beaten by this ruler. And when he, when he speaks back this direct, then he said, oh, if I had known, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said it that way. Because I, I, I want to honor my ruler, even though my ruler's not honoring me right now. And so as we go on 4B, he says, uh, if, if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it, government, is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. 
Now sword, that culture bearing the sword meant the death penalty. And so he's saying here that government is commissioned with the authority to remove people from society, even to the point of exercising the death penalty. And that's a very controversial issue today. And uh, there have been so many times that people on death row have been proven through uh, DNA evidence or, or some other way. There have been many times that they've been proven to have been innocent. And um, just a few things to say about this. Uh, it's a, a horrific thing to think of killing someone, anyone. But execution has this particular onus, at least in my thinking. And, um, and, and yet, if it's used with great caution, if it's administered fairly and adjudicated fairly in the court system, and there's guilt without question, then in my opinion, the Bible is, does not object to the exercise and use of the death penalty by an appropriate government. And when I say adjudicated properly, um, what I'm thinking there is that you don't have like a district attorney who's already tried 25 capital cases, and then you have a public defender who's never tried anything in court before defending this, defending this person. That, that's not fair to me. There, there ought to be an equal, there ought to be some level playing field here as far as the person getting right representation. But um, if, in my opinion, because I am pro-life, which means I'm against abortion, but it also means if there's a question about this, if, if the system is broken, then better not to have the death penalty at all. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm not trying to get too political here. I'm just telling you kind of like how I've worked through some of these things. You can work through them and think through them yourself. But this passage is saying that government has that authority to exercise the death penalty. And again, I would say in cases where it has been fairly fairly dealt with and where there's no question about doubt, no doubt about guilt. But he talks here about the one who practices evil. And, uh, and by the way, Genesis 6, he says, whoever sheds blood by man shall his blood be shed. What that's saying is life is so important and so significant that when someone in a premeditated and unjustified way takes another human life, they forfeit their own life. That's what Genesis 6 is saying. And, and, and so even in the Old Testament, there was allowance for accidental, ac accidental killings or even uh, heat of the moment where two people get in a fight and one gets knocked down and hits his head and he dies. There was allowance for that. Those were not capital cases. And so um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a harsh, harsh system. But um, he says here, one who practices evil. And the word practices means a way of life. It means someone who has focused their heart and their mind on these things and on this as a way of life, repeated pattern. And then evil, originally the word evil just simply means the absence of good. But what happens is in the absence of good, there is an enemy in this world whose mission is to kill, kill, steal, and destroy. And he moves in where there's an absence of good. And then what we consider to be evil meaning evil actions, you know, th things that are vile that happen. He fills up that lack. He fills up that, th there's no neutrality in other words. 
He fills, up the new, he fills up that neutrality with evil. And that's how then the word becomes evil in the sense of the way we use it today. But, but he says that that is for those who have made a lifestyle of practicing evil. And the avenger, it, root of the word avenger means a decision through a legal process intended to defend truth and the right. And wrath is like an upsurge of a person's heart against horrific evil. Like wrath is what you feel if, if you read about a child being sexually abused or, or, or a rape or some horrific, like the shooting in Dayton, and you feel this thing rise up in you. That is wrong. That, that's what this word wrath means. It's, it doesn't mean a... Um, it's not like a, a gut reaction that... As I've already said, if you push me, I'll push you back. I'll hurt you ten times worse than you hurt me. It's not that. It is just a reaction of a good heart towards evil. And so he concludes in verse 5, and he says this. He says, so you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. You see, this whole thing he's been saying, okay, God instituted government. God did this. God said this. And so, yeah, you, 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 you want to avoid breaking the law because you don't want to go to jail. Sure, that's part of it. But the bigger issue for the believer is my conscience. I, I want to know that I'm living in a way that honors God. And God's established this whole system. And so if I rebel against that system, I'm rebelling against God and spoiling my own conscience. And when he comes to this and he mentions conscience, he's really introducing here a truth that, that I believe that, that says that the ills and problems of society in this fallen world all come back to the heart. And whatever laws maybe need to be made, I don't know, they're not the answer. Ultimately, they're not the answer. It's the heart of human beings. And you know what that tells us? What is the answer then? The answer is Jesus. And what we need to be praying for is revival in our nation. That can happen. There have been other points in history where this very nation has been in horrible condition. And so we pray for revival and we trust God that our trust is in Him, some trust in Man, God says, don't trust in man, trust in me. And so that's where we find peace. So, Father, um, thank you for your goodness and your love. And we, we just, uh, we lift our hearts to you. And we want to have good hearts before you. We want to honor everyone around us. We want to speak honorably of our leaders and of, of those in authority. And uh, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us hearts to do that so that we can shine like bright stars in the midst of a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.